I'm ready when you are. You can feel the country's on the knife edge. It's only, what, 30 minutes late starting? Let's do this! <laughs> it's a joke, obviously. You are in retreat. We're not rioting yet. I don't like that question. You're just saying shit and you don't even know what you're talking about. That spider game sounds way cooler than manta rays, doesn't it? And I was like, well, here's my two cents. You, you, you need a lot of stuff. That's how we should describe the podcast. If they ever went out and recruited one more person, then we'd have double the number of people listening. Well then. Let's start the show. Oh, well, hello, everybody. Woo! Welcome, welcome back to the show. Uh, feels like it's been a couple weeks. I guess it has been a couple weeks since we've gotten together, Brad. Welcome, audience. Welcome, Brad. How you doing? Yeah, not so bad. Yeah, I think it, it has been a couple of weeks. I think also it, it's just seemed like a very long time in the uh, current political state of affairs around around the world. Every, every day I wake up, I'm like, I don't really want to look at the news today because... What's happened in the last eight hours while I've been asleep? Yeah, there's been a lot. Uh, been a lot of piling on. Uh, apparently, 2017 is taking a run at uh, trying to make people feel even worse about themselves and the state of affairs than 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 the previous year. But you know what? I say there's still good to focus on. We got to be optimistic. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to bring some. You know, some optimistic stories, some cool stories, get your mind off some of that other, you know, bullshit that's been going on. And I think, you know, today is, is Groundhog's Day. I don't know if you guys do that in the uh, UK or not. Oh, Pox Attorney Phil. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I don't, so I don't know if he saw a shadow or not. For those who have never heard Groundhog's Day, is this little groundhog comes out of his hole. He... If he sees his shadow, uh, he runs back in his hole, and you have another six weeks of winter. If he doesn't, you uh, get an early spring. So I don't know what the results were, but you know, it's like a Groundhog's Day. It's like a you know, it could be a, a a sign of spring is coming, a little joviality. So we'll go from Groundhog's Day into I think we'll start off with some some other interesting animal stories to lighten the mood. Well, before we go into that, I've just literally had to look up because <laughs> I wanted to know. Fox uh, Tony Phil has spoken. All right. Uh, get your winter stuff, guys. Got six more weeks of winter. Oh, that is not the. That's not the the positive news. That's why I was kind of like steering away from actually seeing what the result was because we were trying to be all positive, and then people are going to be like, "God damn it." So, but when when has that little bastard ever been right? I actually saw a, a a a thing on it today, a tweet about it today, from of course some scientist being like, "Well, actually, if you look at his results, they're no better than chance uh, at predicting any sort of pattern." Much so. much like many meteorologists out there. So, <laughs> well, by, by all accounts, that there are a um, a whole host of Groundhog Days. It's not just the one that was made famous in the film. Uh, so, and actually there's a bit of a, uh, divergent opinion between them all. So, uh, 
for instance, uh, Dunkirk Dave from New York mm-hmm. says six more weeks of winter. Essex Ed in New Jersey is also saying winter. Uh, but uh, Malvern Mel and Milltown Mel uh, are both saying it's an early spring. So I don't know what the one uh, from back home said, but uh, I know we got a couple back home too that local. We got our own local groundhogs that uh, predict, but anyway. Well, anyway. So fascinating stuff. Indeed. <laughs> but anyway, so following on to the animal theme, I'm going to try and cheer up the nation. Uh, well, no, nay, the world, because of course we're international. <laughs> um, with a story um, which, you know, we, we talk about headlines grabbing me or grabbing us. Um, so I saw this headline. I was like, okay, I've got to read that story. And the, uh, the headline was, Hungry Penguins Help Keep Cars Safe. And I was like, "Woo! Somebody's ditched, Naturally. Like, yeah, somebody's ditched the Dobermans and the Rottweilers, and they've got a swarm or a flock of hungry penguins just guarding their cars." Oh, like guarding the car yeah. park? Yeah, okay. That's, that's what I was thinking in my mind, but it turns out no. So Danny DeVito and his penguin <laughs> army from Batman Returns. See, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it from that point of view. So yeah, that could work as well. Um, so actually, it turns out that um, scientists have found a way, have been inspired by watching the way that hungry penguins hunt and organize themselves to survive, to feed themselves, um, into taking from that, abstracting a way of creating new computer codes that ensure that um, smart cars don't crash. So what they basically say is, obviously, when there's a large group of penguins together, they need a lot of food to sustain themselves. Um, And they sort of, if you've ever watched like the the planet Earth videos of them feeding, you know, they they almost swarm in formation like when they're under the water and how they split up and divide to sort of circle around fish and get them. But how do they do do that so quickly and seemingly effortlessly? So what the scientists have done is applied that principle to um, creating code, which at the moment in non-smart cars, the way they, they liken it is that they're buying, you know, Ford or GM or whoever are buying components from all these different manufacturers and then they bolt them together into a car and how do they get them all to talk to each other? So they're basically saying that they're applying this principle to getting those parts to talk to each other in a way that, you know, is safe and efficient. But then the next generation of the thinking is, well, smart cars are coming that will either be driverless or that will actually communicate to each other. I know, um, I think Mercedes have a car that does that already. They communicate within their own sort of set of cars. So mm-hmm. it can sort of predict, you know, if, if you're driving one, I think it's the E-Class Mercedes. So if you're driving one of the new E-Class Mercedes and you turn the corner and you slam on the brake because there's a kid running in front of you in the road, mm-hmm. it sends a message to other E-Classes in the area. So if, you, if you're if you in another E-Class behind it, it warns you and the car will already start bracing itself to start slowing in case you were to make mm-hmm. that same maneuver. So what they're saying is that they can trans then bring this over so that smart cars will effectively be... Um, run by hungry penguins, in effect. <laughs> and deep down. Um, but they've said that this isn't unique. So in something close to you with your zombie ants, um, so actually telecommunication companies actually uh, used this concept years ago by studying ants and how they communicate within their nests. Um, and that's the thinking behind that is what keeps our mobile phone networks running and um, robots using locomotion and things like that. Yeah, it's interesting. I've definitely heard of it uh, uh, before in terms of like the swarm 
you know, making an algorithm on the swarm or like whether it's a flock of birds, you see like birds that go across the sky and they make those crazy patterns because they're all moving or fish uh, swarming together. There's a way that you, you know, mathematicians have always tried to map these things out uh, and then, yeah, apply it to complex systems. Um, anything that gets driverless cars going, you know, I'm I'm all for it. You know, I'm all for it. So sorry, truck drivers, your jobs are gone. We've already <laughs> gone over this. Um, but yeah, no, it's interesting. And it's, and it's, I never thought about it in terms of, you know, the, the actual car where you were saying the parts, like you have to get all these parts yeah, no. from different manufacturers to somehow communicate to each other. To, and that's just to make the car itself, yeah. you know, function. And then you have, you know, the extrapolation of going, you know, then cars communicating to other cars. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. Hey, you know, it's about time those penguins started doing something for us. Well, they're all, you know, as far as I know, they're all down in Antarctica dancing with their happy feet, aren't they? So Exactly. And, and everyone's always telling me, oh, you know, we got to worry about the penguins. The ice is melting. Well, you know, maybe I'll be more inclined to save the penguins now that they've started to contribute. Well, about time they pulled their own weight. <laughs> what I'm hoping is that we can translate this so that I don't have to put petrol in my car anymore. I can just put sardines. In the back, that's what I'm really, you know, hoping that, you know, will ultimately come from this. And then you you lift up the hood and it's just like a bunch of penguins on little uh, treadmills. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. (laughs) Powering the car. My my worry is, though, that you'd have to have quite an industrial size air conditioning unit to keep it cold enough to keep them happy. (laughs) Obviously, you know, they wouldn't be too happy in a sweltering heat of a front end of a car, would they? Well, you know. Once we, once we figure out how to bioengineer species and stuff like that, we'll just chuck them out and get new ones. <laughs> well, maybe splice them in with some sort of desert animal that's used to the hot weather. Mutant penguins powering cars. You heard it here first, people. Should have put <laughs> should have put that into predictions for 2017. Jesus, where's the where's the the think tanks that you know that hey. that need all these bright ideas? Hey, they're going to be coming us. If any of our listeners are out there trying to steal that idea, you heard it here first, and you have to cut me in on it. That's right, patent pending. Yeah. Patent pending. Patent pending, definitely. Stick it in an envelope, send it to yourself. Exactly <laughs> the same thing. Don't I don't need a patent lawyer. Just do it all myself. Yeah, right. That's uh that's the old the old myth that they would always say in bands. Whenever I was playing in bands in high school and stuff like, Oh yeah, if you come up with a really good song and stuff, you gotta record it and mail it to yourself to prove <laughs> that it was you know it's like oh, I'm no lawyer, but I don't know if that actually works. Yeah, I've, I've not seen any, you know, of the big, you know, like pharmaceutical companies or companies out there developing technology. I've not seen Apple go, well, do you know what? We actually sent the idea for the iPhone to ourselves <laughs> back in the late 80s. So Samsung, we're going to sue your ass based on that. I've not, I've not heard that happen yet, but who knows? Maybe one day, maybe one day. Yeah, I don't work in the mail department at uh, Intel or, you know, Apple. So <laughs> maybe got- they get... Just loads and loads of bags of self-addressed posts all around the mailroom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's it's on record anyway. At least we've recorded it. So, well, you know. exactly. now we just need a picture of us holding up a newspaper from today. We mentioned it's Groundhog's Day. It, you know, I think we got our bases covered. Yeah. So any, anything that gets said from here on out is property of two grad for you. Incorporated. Oh, I like. It. Do you want to go incorporated, or do you want to go something else? Um. Well, over here we we would be limited, so that way we limit our losses if it all goes tits up. Because you know, I I don't want to be held That's accountable. A good, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always, I've always been worried about going tits up. Yeah, yeah. We don't want I prefer that. Prefer to go tits down, but well, gravity often does that on its own accord. <laughs> eventually, you know, even even to the most pert of tits. But uh, <laughs> you know, what can you do? I think we've digressed uh, far enough. I think we have. Well, you, you've had an insight into you know my head and our thinking. So, speaking of insights into heads, you're going to see what I've mm. done here. This is a nice little segue. Boom. Um, Boom. So it actually hit the news here um, yesterday. We, we talked a little bit about this before we, we hit the microphones rolling um, about a team of scientists, that I think they're based in um, Germany and Switzerland, that have developed a method of um, allowing patients that are locked in, so um, ALS patients, so Stephen Hawking, effectively, you know, people like that with more severe forms, locked in patients being able to communicate. Um, so I think there's been a paper published um, from a group of four patients in Germany in one of the biology papers uh, this week. Uh, and basically what they've scientists have done is, is if you can imagine like um, wearing a, a cap, a bit like you see Egon wearing Ghostbusters, sort of measuring brain waves. But actually what right. this cap is doing is um, measuring the uh, changes in color of blood. So basically when brain cells are active, it changes the oxygen levels in blood within that area, which in mm-hmm. turn changes the color of the blood. Um, and they can use um, a technique called near-infrared spectroscopy, basically to measure the light, and then basically from that determine the patient's reaction. So at the moment, it's it's very binary, so it's literally yes-no questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so they set a baseline with, you know, your name is X, you know, you are married to Y. Kind of like a polygraph yeah. sort of thing, you know, you get a baseline. Sort of, okay, yeah. Um, and then once they've got that basis then um, they can ask a series of yes-no questions. So the system um, has an accuracy of about 75% at the moment in its um, prototype form. Um, How do they know if they're wrong? Well, I guess because they're asking questions, you know, yes-no questions. Well, I guess you, yeah, do you know the underlying person hasn't had their mental state sorted? But I guess if you make that assumption that they haven't, based on what we know, yeah, yeah. Um, then yeah, around about seventy five percent accuracy at the moment, and they're they're predicting with as the technology improves, then that accuracy will will improve, and as they gather more data, then they can refine the um, the algorithms and the the techniques behind it as well. Right. Um, but they gave gave a couple of uh, examples. So there was actually a um, a woman on there that kept asking her dad um, if she could have permission to marry her boyfriend. Um, to which uh, she asked him uh, nine times, and he said no every time. Uh, <laughs> but she ended up marrying him anyway. Uh, poor guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what was what I think is potentially the biggest thing from this is um, they actually asked people their um, what they thought their quality of life was. Were they happy with their quality of life? Considering mm-hmm. a lot of these patients are bedridden, and maybe a lot of them are even on ventilators and things like that. Um, and actually the majority of them, the vast majority of them, in fact, uh, said that they were happy with their quality of life, which I, you know, we won't get into that debate today, but the whole, you know, assisted suicide type debate will, you know, obviously have maybe a counter argument to that, but, you know, interesting that, that, you know, they've asked that question that that seems to be the answer at the moment. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like that's a pretty ballsy question to ask too because yeah. you might get you might get a resounding you know no uh and then what do you do with that information uh, I guess take it to the euthanasia panel but, uh, you know uh 
So that's uh yeah, no, that's interesting. I think it's a you know, this this idea of mapping activity in the brain. I mean, it's just another way to do that. We have functional MRI and stuff like this. This seems like it's a bit more real time because you're not you don't have to be in the MRI to sort of see which brain areas are lighting up. So that's that's a, a fat you know, a cool new development. And I never would have thought to look at oxygenation levels in, in, you know, but it's a proxy for activity, right? So yeah, it, it makes sense. Um, yeah. And it's yeah, yeah, anything that I think that, uh, allows people a voice, like, especially in these cases, uh, anything that gives people like that a voice or some sort of interaction with the world, I think is, you know, uh, yeah. You can't, you can't argue with that. It's, I think we, we talked about the story in a few episodes past about, uh, getting locked in patients to be able to participate in creating music. Uh, it's a different, you know, different technologies that are being used, but hey, way to go. So if I, you know, I might have to be like Kramer and Seinfeld and change my will <laughs> to say that, you know, if I'm, if I'm, you know, in the bed with nothing to do, don't pull the plug because, <laughs> I might still be able to engage with the with the world. So, well, you, if you're in bed alone, you've always got something to do, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, I can't use my hands. I'm locked in, bro. Uh, okay, I'm saying I'm locked in. Now, 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 I see what you're saying. Okay, you're just you're just a real treat sometimes. Well, you know, I, you know I do what I can. So, flash. It's been a it's been a little while, and I, I'm not sure we've had one in 2017. But I I can feel an Ebola update. I feel as if I, I feel as if I need one. Can you yeah. can you can you provide what I need? Can you quench my Ebola thirst? I got I got what you need, my friend. Oh. I got what you need. Our good old friend Ebola is yes. back back in the news. We really shouldn't be so excited about such a deadly deadly horrible disease that has taken so many lives but the fascination with ebola rolls on so and actually we have uh don't worry it's not you know another outbreak so we're still safe we're still good um we actually have a update in diagnosis but it's not diagnosing uh whether you have ebola or not it's actually uh using a blood test to identify different proteins, so different gene uh, products that are floating around in the blood of people already infected with Ebola, and using those to predict their likely outcome of survival. Why wow, now? Is that a good thing? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just, you, I'm just thinking. You, you can track the disease. You go have the blood test, and like, well, there's no point in giving you any treatment whatsoever, uh, Mister Hayes. You are screwed. Yeah, well, uh, that's the nature of triage, right? I mean, medicine has always had to deal with this, uh, you know, emergency medicine in, you know, war situations or natural disaster situations has always had to deal with this. And there's, I, I believe there's like yearly international conferences uh, in the medical profession on how to appropriately, you know, uh, develop a triage protocol, because it's it's the tough question that everybody you know has to face in those situations you know is this person too far gone what's the best allocation of resources in order to save the most lives and i mean it's it's a horrible decision to have to make radio lab did a really nice uh piece on it 
six months ago or something like this. Um, and you know, I feel for the doctors that have to make those make those calls, but ideally, that's you know, like that is what this this does. It will allow you a uh, a way to sort of design treatment strategies or react in a triage way uh, of allocating resources in a, in a, a severe outbreak right. situation. Now, uh, the other thing that it does is because so a, the only other indicator that they had of survival, like a predictor for survival in Ebola was basically just how much virus you have in you. Right. So they, they take a sample of your blood and they just look at like how quickly what's the it's viral replicating. Load? Yeah. Okay. What's the viral load, right? Like, and so that was always like, basically they had the prediction of if the guy's got a shit ton of virus in him, he's probably going to die. Uh, but if he had like, uh, <laughs> is that a technical medical term? Is that? I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. Uh, and then, but it, it, you know, like if you had medium levels, it was like, well, it could go this way, it could go that way. Nobody, nobody really knows. So this is, you know, not only a better predictor for that, but it also, because you're looking at not just viral load, you're actually looking at, um, proteins that the body has made in response to having Ebola. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. It, it informs how the body's reacting to the virus, which could then, you know, lead to, uh, new treatment methods. Um, but the interesting thing that they found in, in, as they were starting to characterize some of these proteins and what was going on, it was giving them insight into how the immune system was reacting to, uh, infection with Ebola. And they found that, uh, patients that mounted like a really quick and robust immune response to infection with Ebola, it didn't matter. They were, they weren't more likely to survive than patients that sort of, that, that didn't have this really quick and robust response. So more cheerful news coming from the <laughs> Ebola front. Doesn't matter how good your immune system, how quick your immune system catches, you know, you know, fires into action. Uh, you may or may not be screwed. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And now we'll be able to decide if, uh, you're worth saving. But how how accurate is that test? Because you know, even if there's the slightest chance, then yeah, I get I get the triage principle. But if I'm on the receiving end of that, I'm going to say, well, the test is only ninety eight percent accurate. I could be like two percent, and we'll say, well, good luck with that, friend. Good <laughs> luck with that. But you're on your own. Oh well, um, well that's that's nice to know. It's nice to know that you know if ever we take this Ebola update out into the field and one of us is unfortunate enough to contract the disease, that that's the level of support we would get from one another. So that's nice. Hey man, I'll I'll stand by your bed, you know, at a good a, safe distance. Yeah, a good safe a distance. BS level yeah. three hazmat suit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and a flamethrower. <laughs> yeah, you're just ready for that moment. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly how, like, I didn't get the specific numbers on how accurate it was, but they did say that it was much more accurate than anything that they have at the moment to predict, um, survival outcome. So, yeah, I don't, I don't have the specific on, on what that is, but it seems like it's fairly, uh, it's fairly accurate. And if anything, it's, like I said, it's got that secondary benefit of, you know, beginning to, to characterize how the body is is reacting to to Ebola. So we shall see. Wow. Uh, 
that's that's the Ebola update. Well, it's for been now. it's been a while, but yeah, it, it's a good one. It'd be yeah. Will they roll this out for other other diseases? Is there you know are there other applications of as you you know because I know with you know heart attacks for example you can measure is it the C protein C reactive protein afterwards to determine the level of damage to the heart. Um, oh, okay. You, you follow that up then with a um, cardiogram, but you you know to a degree you can tell you know how severe the heart attack was. But you just wonder, oh, okay. you know, are we getting to the point of, yeah, okay, well, the health service is failing, so, yep, stand there, have your blood test. Yeah, I'm sorry, you're in the percentile that we're not willing to help today. Cash, cash is thin on the ground today, so. Well, I, you know, aren't they having cash problems with the uh, National Health Program there over there in the UK? Well, no, so no, because we... You guys might... Not anymore, because we voted to leave Europe, so that's £350 million a week that we'll be getting back from Europe, um, basically to pay... Oh, no, shit, that was a lie, wasn't it? Fuck. Yeah, that bus lied to you, my uh, friend, that bus lied Jesus. to you. <laughs> oh, in that case, yeah, we are screwed, so, yeah. Well, you know, this um, this this Ebola uh, test, this diagnostic test here, was up, uh Produced by a team led by uh, individuals from the University of Liverpool. So, ah, say no more. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe your government's already prepping to you maybe, know, start well, making making the tough choices. Oh, well, I was going to say, once the health system fails here, then I can move to the US and enroll in Obamacare. Oh, fuck! No, yeah. Hey, mm. according to tweets from uh, our great leader in Canada. <laughs> People are welcome in Canada still. So, so I hear. So you I can't, hear. If you can't get into the U.S., head on over to Canada. Just make sure you got some boots and a toque. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, you might be in trouble. Although climate change is coming, so Canada will probably be a good destination in about 50 years. What's coming? Uh, uh, climate change? No, I'm sorry. I, I, I get all my information from the EPA website, and it, it's no mention of climate change <laughs> there. So I think, you, think you'll find, my friend, you've been missold on that one. So, all a big lie. Oh, right. It's all a big lie. I think I think they call it fake news. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. It's all a liberal conspiracy. Yeah. Exactly. Um well, my friend, we now have uh, a a tool in the fight against fake news. Is it a big stick or is it common sense <laughs> or <laughs> No, it actually, uh, you know, we were just talking about diseases uh, and and Ebola, our good friend Ebola. So we're talking about a vaccine against fake news. Unbelievable, right? A vaccine against fake news. A vaccine against fake news. Okay. So here's how it works. Um, it's a team of uh, social psychologists that have come up with this. Um this theory, basically, that much like a vaccine uh, where you use a small bit of the the harmful agent, the virus or whatever, yeah. um, to sort of you introduce that to a, a person um, and then that builds their tolerance towards said, you know, bad thing. OK, they want to do the same thing with fake news and misinformation. So. By providing a little inoculation, a little dose of a, a, a in this case, it's not actually more in, misinformation. It's a little warning. Um, they think that they can sort of reduce the influence of fake news or competing ideas. 
So it's a bit, it took me a bit to walk through this study and figure out exactly what they're doing. But basically it comes down to, they took, they use climate change, obviously, as this is one of the biggest, you know, you see some of the biggest misinformation campaign or, you know, yeah. campaigns. Climate against, change is misinformation. You're right. Yeah. That yeah, is fake right. news. Denial. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so they went on the internet and they oh, found, well, there you go. <laughs> they found, uh, sort of what the biggest, um, climate change myths were like what's the one that's most widely circulated uh sort of has the strongest opinions behind it and it's it's this um petition that some oregon institute of climate change deniers or something um has produced basically a petition saying that uh they have 31,000 american scientists sign this thing that refute uh climate change say it doesn't exist say that it's all a hoax right and then they went with so they have that this is their established misinformation thing that gets thrown about the internet all the time um and then they have the true fact or sorry the alternative fact uh <laughs> that in fact that 97 percent of scientists actually have a consensus of climate change is real and it's happening and it's man-made so what they wanted to do is they wanted to basically gauge opinion shifts uh, of the participants in this study um, of their uh, belief or uh, confidence in the scientific consensus of climate change. So do they think that there is a consensus or do they not think? Um, and the way that they did this, so they, they presented them you know, either the the true fact of consensus or the false fact of not consensus and saw how their opinions shifted. Right. Um, so if they only saw the true fact, uh, obviously their perception of consensus went up by 20 percentage points based on what it was before seeing this this information. And I think they showed it to them in the form of a pie chart or something like this. And so then if they only were shown the false fact, that there's this petition that says 31,000 scientists disagree, then their confidence in consensus dropped by 9%. Now, if they were shown the true fact, there is consensus, and then shortly after were shown the competing denial of that fact, the misinformation, then it actually neutralized. So their whatever their opinion was before, it remains such. So if they had a, a doubt about a consensus, they were shown that, hey, look, there is, your doubt is wrong. But then shortly after they showed something that said, well, no, actually, maybe your doubt is correct. It, it neutralized. So they couldn't get the, the correct information couldn't get through because the misinformation was neutralizing it. Um, so that was sort of what they found at the beginning. So what they wanted to do then was see if they could introduce this, the inoculation, right? Okay. So the inoculation then comes from basically you show them. So they did it to two groups randomly that were undergoing this test in shifts of perception on consensus. Um, and they had a sort of a heavy dose and a light dose. So the light dose... um would basically be in the form of a warning that says, you know, 
some politically motivated groups will use misleading tactics to try and convince the public that there's disagreement on topics. And then they go about the same thing, show them the true, show them the, the right. false. Yeah. Um, and the heavy dose would actually be uh, a statement that walks them through how the petition is uh, fraudulent. So this petition from this institute has been shown that many of the signatures on there are from people like Charles Darwin or the Spice Girls or, you know, that's just there's just made up names. Right. Um, and that, in fact, uh, less than one percent of the quote unquote scientists that have signed this thing actually have a background in in climate research. So they basically paid some some PhDs with doctors in front of their name to basically just sign this thing. So that was the heavy dose is they actually walked people through that and said, you know, look at this, this petition's actually quite shit. Um, and then, you know, again, did the test of this is your information. Um, and what they found that those that got the inoculation. So if they only saw the, the light dose, um, their opinion actually shifted six six percentage points towards consensus. So there, that neutralizing effect of seeing the misinformation after seeing the correct information was gone. It, in fact, they actually moved towards the correct information uh, in higher percentages. Um, and then if they uh, were received both the the slight dose and the heavy dose of picking apart the um, petition. Then they actually moved 13 percentage points closer towards the, uh, the correct information. So they found basically it, is that it had this protective effect against the, uh, the misinformation. Does you follow me here? Yeah. Okay. So then how, so the question in my mind is, but how can they roll that out onto a bigger, is there a way of rolling that out to a bigger scale? You know, do you have to put everyone through that type of vaccine, that type of training, or is there a way of, you know, creating like a herd immunity effect type thing where if you educate, train, vaccinate enough people, then the knock-on effect's there? I th that, that for me would be the interesting piece of how you yeah. spread that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, yeah. I'm not sure exactly. I think basically what you got to do is that any time Trump or his press secretary are going to be on the news, the, they should just roll some some tape beforehand of, you know, a lot of times some assholes will tell you some shit that's not true <laughs> because they want to, you know, take your money or, you know, slip some stuff by you and then roll the tape. Um yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure how you, how you do it. I mean, it, it speaks to how do you get information across in such a, you know, crowded environment, like crowded media environment. But the, the encouraging things from this, I think, are that what they found is that like the cigarette companies and the fossil fuel companies, when they're trying to purposefully create doubt in, in research with cigarettes, obviously it was that they cause lung cancer and, and disease and that they're bad for you. Fossil fuel companies are using the same tactics and saying in creating doubt around, um, the science of climate change. This is, ba they're basically using this effect, right? They, 
they shoot out this misinformation right, after yeah. people see the real information and and it and it works it works to confuse people and it works to you know create this doubt so they don't actually believe what's what the true information is so basically they the researchers wanted to show like well is there anything that can be done can we sort of use the same tactic in reverse rather than showing this misinformation after you get good information and neutralizing your opinion, we can actually try and throw something out there first to counteract that. So, yeah, how do you roll it out onto a bigger stage like like Facebook or something? I don't know. But maybe there just has to be random reminders up there, you know, for people or like how they put on the eventually put on the cigarette packages, all the you know, all gross the pictures. pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So maybe there has to be like before you get your news from, you know. American freedom, climate freedom dot com, you know, slash blazing American freedom fire, then you get like a little warning comes up on your page. Now, I know what all those people, the sort of all right, they're going to be like, ah, you can't police people's thoughts. You can't thought control people. That's bullshit. But come on, we're just trying to educate. Well, and that just brings me. So I don't know if you saw it on the, uh, news uh yesterday so nigel farage was making a um i was gonna say a passionate speech but i don't think that's the right word uh an aggressive monologue in the european parliament um yeah. and one of uh the uk's other members of parliament european parliament uh basically sat behind him with a handwritten sign saying with an arrow pointing to him saying he's lying to you have you seen that <laughs> yeah i did i did i thought it was brilliant yeah uh, and then and then I read yesterday the guy that was holding it released a statement saying why he did it. Which was? Well, and the reason he did it, he says, because um, UKIP basically, if you go to UKIP's website, whenever they're publicizing something, they always use little short soundbite clips and video clips of Nigel Farage telling the European Parliament exactly what he thinks of them or whatever. He said, and they always edit it in such a way that it looks like, you know, Nigel Farage is running the whole show and it just skews everything. So he said, I thought basically, if I just sit behind with that, they can't use that. Yeah, clip. exactly. So effectively, he's doing the same thing. He's actually saying, you know, be warned, some people yeah, may exactly. lie to you. And so the, it, it seems it seems so, you know, when you hear it, it's like, okay, well, yeah, but that's just common sense, right? Like if you give people, you know, shouldn't people know that they might be being lied to like there's always a chance that they're being lied to and i mean and, and it can work both ways right like you said like like i said the you know fossil fuel companies and cigarette companies have done it for years in reverse so i don't know it, it's interesting um yeah. the other interesting thing that came out of this um is that they didn't observe a backfire effect um which the backfire effect is really it's that's, that's um, when Trump gets elected, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Whoops. <laughs> no, the backfire effect is came from all these studies where they showed that if you present people with data that's contradictory to their opinion that they already hold, that instead of, you know, taking in that data and saying, oh, okay, fact-based data now says that my opinion is not entirely true i should incorporate that into my belief system and grow and move forward right. in fact what people do is double down and try to discredit the data or like fall back into like conspiracy theories or something like this you know 
and, and so they didn't find that that effect uh, in this study. And I don't know exactly how they measured that um, because one of my big concerns when I was reading this was like, okay, well, in a lot of time, a lot of times in these studies, it's 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 going to be similar to the flaws that they had with the polls in the elections, where it's like people will say one thing on a poll, but then actually, you know, in secret, go and vote for Trump, right? So it's like if these people know that they're being, you know, tested for their perception or something, like they know that they're a part of a social science experiment, they might be less, you know, they might not fall back to this backfire effect as much because they don't want to seem stupid or ignorant or whatever right. in front of the research, right? But in fact, this was done as a, it was a, what they called like a disguised experiment. So they did it online with this thing called uh, Amazon Mechanical Turk. And I had never heard of this before, but it's a website basically that crowdsources human thought work, basically. So th here's an example. Um, you, you're a company, you want to know what picture people are going to react to best at a storefront, right? right. Um, computer algorithms can't really give you that sort of data. You still need human input and stuff like this. You can go to this website and propose, you know, I need a bunch of people from this whatever to answer questions on this and they get the people that respond get a little bit of money. Um, so basically they did it through this mechanism. So people didn't know that it was a study. They didn't know okay. that it was, you know, I mean, they, they probably thought it was market research or something yeah. like this, right? Yeah. So they do in some level know that they're being data is being gathered from them, but it wasn't specifically like, Hey, come to the university, sign up for this study. We want to know that, you know, which totally skews yeah. uh, people's responses. So, that, you know, you would think that doing it in this way, you would get more honest response. So perhaps, perhaps this is, you know, the shining light forward. Again, how do you implement it? I don't know. Um, one other interesting thing that came out of this, um, and this has been talked about as well in the whole fake news that has been pervasive over the, over the airwaves recently is that Republicans are more susceptible to the fake facts. So, they, you know, and, and, and when, when these fake news stories came out and it, and it, and it was, I think it was BuzzFeed that first reported that it was a bunch of teenagers from Macedonia that were creating these fake news stories to get clicks and get uh, income. Right. Uh, and they were like, they all said, yeah, you know, we could do it on both sides, but we found that if we did it to <laughs> skewed it to the right, you know, more people would, would click on it and share it and we'd get more money. And so there was this, this thing that's like, well, it turns out that people on, of that political leaning are more susceptible to this. And they found that in this study too. So in the initial tests of the, the sort of neutralizing effect of seeing the true information and then seeing the false information, they found that Democrats and independents were, they had that neutralizing effect. So they, whatever their opinion was before they saw both pieces of information, they went back to that. Um, but Republicans actually, when they saw the two pieces of information doubled down and like went towards the, the fake fact more than, than anyone else. And they were the only group, they were the only group that, that showed that. However, when they did the experiment with the, we'll give you the leader, we'll give you the vaccine, the inoculation, whatever, 
all didn't matter what political leaning you were it it showed the same effect of guiding people towards the true fact more often than not so because that's when, when you said about them clicking through it's like okay well is it is it just republicans clicking through to read that story or is it democrats and independents clicking it going oh my god this can't be true and right. clicking on it but the fact that then they've then gone the next stage down and see where they loop back to okay that's an interesting yeah. one yeah so it turns out that uh perhaps republicans are a bit more susceptible to fake news so i what does it all mean? I'm going to give a, a, a little uh, inoculation right here because I've just been loading you up with a bunch of shit. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I'm always cautious of these kind of, you know, social science experiments because they can, you know, I, I mentioned that, you know, set and setting obviously can influence people's results, how they respond to these things. These guys did seem to control for that. Uh, what is it? Is it? Is it useful information? I don't know. It couldn't hurt. Maybe this is exactly like we said. We got to start running, you know, like public service announcements or something. Of look at well, well yeah. I, I just I can picture the ad like we said about the cigarette packaging earlier with the picture of the lungs and things like that. Maybe you know you before you run the ad you say you know be careful following and believing stories like this could lead to this man being your president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which a lot of people will be like, "Yeah, that's what I want." <laughs> well, that's, yeah, so, that's true, actually. Yeah, so that, that it could work for, it could work against. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a sticky wicket, and it's something that, like, I've I've been really trying to trying to grasp because I, I you're trying like to grasp you're... your sticky wicket. <laughs> uh, thanks, Brad. Um. Oh, I'm yeah. not grabbing it. Don't thank me. Just make it very clear to listeners, I am not grabbing Flash's sticky wicket. Uh, okay, well, I'm trying to be serious here, and now you've totally derailed me. Good job. You're welcome. That's what I do to scientists. No, it was... I just... I think a lot of people get frustrated when they see these sort of, you know, things that are like, well, how could anyone believe that? How could anyone believe this? In, in face of what seems like, you know blatant facts or, or true facts but we're seeing the now the term alternative fact be thrown out in in into the discourse and stuff so it, it was always a really frustrating thing and and for a long time science communication sort of mentors that i've had and stuff have said facts don't matter you can't you can't change people's minds with facts and it's the same you know this with because of the backfire effect and stuff so I don't know, maybe there is a way forward because I was always so, like, it seems so depressing and so, uh, well, then how does anything ever get done? How does anyone's opinion ever change in light of all this stuff? You know, like, how would you ever move forward? Um, but I guess there is a way. It just takes a long time and, and it takes a sort of a concerted effort to sort of show people, uh, you know, that not everything they read on Facebook is true. What? <laughs> I feel as if you should have broken that to the listeners a little bit more softly. You know, there's <laughs> there's some people having a hard time with that little fact you've just thrown out there now. Sorry, I didn't I didn't preface it with a little inoculation. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> the stuff you see on Facebook might be true. Those kind of things of like, yes. Your aunt is a racist because she keeps posting that stuff. That's true. 
I don't remember seeing a um, just made me think of seeing and I and I don't watch the program like the Jerry Springer show, but they were uh, it was like a behind the scenes look of how the hell do you get people to come on the show, you know? And yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you get them? And basically, obviously, you know, they have to have you know consent forms and you know releases or whatever the release isn't it? Have a release yeah. to get them on, Lisa. But basically, we have to tell them what's coming in the show. So you have to give them a list of like. 10 or 15 things that they're coming on the show to potentially discuss. And one of those things that they're coming on is there, but there's another 14 or 15 absolutely ridiculous things that they're like, oh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going on to talk about that. And then obviously they get there and they get hit with, no, you're here to, you know. What the real thing is. Yeah, your wife is also your sister type thing. Um, <laughs> but they have to throw enough alternate facts around to basically – disorientate yeah. around it. It's like, oh, that's... So maybe that's what we do. If we just throw enough facts around, then it'll just... Climate change will go away. We don't have to worry about, you know, stopping the use of fossil fuels and using more renewable energy. We'll just throw enough alternate facts out there and climate change will disappear. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. We're we're funny creatures, you know? We're, we're humans are interesting, interesting people. Well, you, you, have alter- you have alternative comedy, so... We got alternative facts now. It's just dancers. We got alternative music. There you go. You got, you know, what else? Uh, well, I'd like oh. to make it clear there are not alternative podcasts available. That's right. This so. is this is the truth. This yeah. is the truth. This yeah. is the way. Listen to us, people. We would never guide you wrong. Yeah, the saviors of modern media. Here we are. That's right. Doing our part. Um, well, I guess we got to start wrapping up a bit because... You, my friend, have band practice. I've, not a band practice. I've got a. I've got a band meeting. Oh, how, shit! How cool do I sound? Pretty damn cool. Pretty yeah. damn cool. Um, we got we've got a little bit of time. So before we before we go, you've uh, I know you've got something else you wanted to to touch on. Um. Yeah. Well, it could go a couple of ways, I guess. Um. Do we want to stick with the theme that we were just doing, or go to something completely different? Um. Well, if you I'll, I'll throw something completely different quickly out there. Um, another headline that caught me today was um, Harry Potter's crabs. So you blah, know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, so I instantly you know burnt all my uh, collection DVD collection of Harry Potter films because you know, <laughs> I, I don't want to catch them. And then it's, and your little scarf that you had, yeah, your, yeah, your my, my hat, my wand, yeah, I yeah. my wand a good clean. I didn't want to get that covered in crabs. <laughs> Um, but no, it turns out that scientists have named a crab after characters from Harry Potter. Uh, it's called the Harry Plax Severus. Um, okay. and it's been found in deep water near, um, Guam in the Western Pacific. Um, they're like yellow in color. So they've named, uh, the Severus part after Severus Snape. Um, so spoiler alert, um, Severus Snape's one of the professors in the Harry Potter series. Uh, and he keeps one of the most important secrets of the entire story. Um, and they're saying this is just like this new species, which is eluded discovery for now, uh, for about 20 years. They've uh, been trying to, they thought it was there and now they've eventually found it. And then the Harry part, obviously to Harry Potter, but also, um, after a famous biologist, uh, not that famous. I didn't know who he was, uh, Harry T. Connolly, uh, by all accounts. But then that also opened up a, uh, I was like, oh, what else? So there's um, a spider that last year was named after Harry Potter as well. Mm-hmm. The uh, Irovixa Gryffindori. 
And the reason it's called that, uh, I'll tweet it out as a great comparison picture. It's called that because it looks like the sorting hat from Harry Potter. Okay. Um, so there's like, oh, what else is there? So uh, recently there's been the Skywalker Gibbon. Do you see that? On the okay. That was uh, no, just, but I can get. Now we're talking my language. That was just, yeah. I'm not a big Harry Potter. But I know Teresa probably will you know like this episode fifty thousand times because we mentioned Harry yeah. Potter. But, um, <laughs> yeah, the Skywalker Skywalker Hulock Gibbon yeah. uh, was named by a bunch of Star Wars fans. That, that was just around Christmas time. Um, and also Chewbacca from Star Wars has a uh, a hairy weevil named after him. How fitting. Uh, the Trignopertus Because I'm Chewbacca. pretty sure he's got his own hairy weevil, right? Well, you'd have to go blowing through all that fluff to try and find it. <laughs> I just wanted to get in on your style of joke, you know? Please, feel free. And then, I think I'm starting to get it. Slowly. <laughs> I'm going to change it all. So, uh, yeah, I'll tweet it out. So the, the article that I that drew me in then has a, a whole list of other um, insects and uh, other animals that have been basically named after film characters or film genres. So, you know, I, I just think if I if I was a scientist and I discovered something new, would I, surely I'd want to name it after myself. So, it, you know, it depends on. what it is. Well, yeah, but also, you know, it would live on forever then, wouldn't it? But, you know, I guess, I guess if there's a team of people and they find it, it's like, well, you know, do we call it Flash? Do we call it Brad? Do we call it, Tim, well, no, you know, what do we all like? Well, we all like the Big Lebowski. We all like Star Wars. Okay, well, that's... Yeah, I guess. yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe it saved a lot of fights in scientific communities around the world. Well, and it's just reinforcing the fact that scientists are a bunch of nerds. Well, that has that has been noted. I'm not sure if that's been studied, but I, I, yeah. I, I think we could infer that. From, we could probably write a grant on that. Yeah, well, I, actually, that'd be a good grant to write. Actually, I, actually, I wouldn't want to write the grant. I just want the money. Yeah, and yeah. Then, then I could sit around and watch even more Star Wars and. and like <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I thought people have asked me that. You know, when I was studying parasites, like, well, if you found one, what would you what would you name it after, or something like this? And I had a good friend. Uh, uh, Two good friends, uh, they came and joined me on one of our, uh, field expeditions. And I've said that I would name it after them, not out of like, you know, love for them helping me, but because both of them have joked about naming their dog after me when they get older, you know, as like a slight, as like, yeah, then you're, you're just on the, you know, <laughs> Brad, it's just the dog, you know, like taking away all my, you know, steam. So if I found some really gross parasite, I would name it after my good friends, Matt and Johnny. <laughs> like, yeah, you're a liver worm. That's right. <laughs> well, they probably pickled their liver worms over the short, surely. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. And I'm going to be heading back to Canada come three days from now. So we'll be pickling our liver, liver worms together. Well, hope, hopefully you'll make it back. Cause it would be, you know, it would be nice to see you again. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I get to say farewell to you at least on Sunday night when you're you're here. So yeah, for those those of you slightly confused, Flash is actually visiting uh, the UK briefly on his way back to his homeland. So uh, he's going to experience some uh, Sunday night uh, local culture, I believe. So uh, maybe give an update to let you know how all that all goes. Yeah, it should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Well, my friend, uh, do you want to do the summary? You want to wrap us up here? I can, bring us on home? I can talk about what we've learned today. So, uh, yeah, we've learned that uh, penguins will soon power our cars and uh, cars will basically run on fish. 
So uh, <laughs> what a lovely smell that will create. Never mind, <laughs> mind smog pollution around cities. Just imagine yeah. that all whiffing around. Uh, climate change, it's, it's, it's all a myth. Uh, in it, in it, Beth, it's a, it's an alternate ending to the world. Yeah. Really. So <laughs> who knows? And, uh, scientists, we know what you're thinking. Basically, that's right. saying. We've had a couple of stories. We know what you're thinking. So keep it clean, people, because we know what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, we know what you're thinking. And frankly, we don't like it. <laughs> Well, I kind of like Come some of it. Come on, people. I kind of like some of it. I like some of it. If they could hold on to those <laughs> thoughts, that would be good. <laughs> oh, all right. Okay. Well, it's been another uh, another interesting journey. Um, I'm glad we got the Ebola update in there. I think in coming weeks, like I said, I'll be in Canada, so we might be off for a bit, but we'll try and we'll try and get back to you soon. There's plenty happening. We didn't even touch on uh, human pig. Uh, no. blended embryos. Uh, I, th- I the- thought you were describing Trump from it then. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, well, they well, said well, they okay. created. They said they created the first human pig embryo just now, but I suspect that it's been happening no, 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 once, while. at least yeah. once before. Uh, well, from, yeah. from from what I can see in the news, Trump has had an amazing first what week and a half in office, two weeks in office. You know, he's he's well, he's you know from a political point of view, he's delivered on his promises, isn't he? This is what he yeah. campaigned on, and you know. Off he goes about it. So I say, uh, you know, we'll inoculate that with a little bit of, you know, sometimes people (laughs) do these really big, uh, shows uh, and scapegoat certain groups because they're hiding, you know, what's going on behind the scenes, which might actually be worse for everybody. So I will, we'll say that. And I would say look behind the scenes because I think there's some shady shit going on. Uh, it's a controversial uh, statement flash i I think i think that the lesson from all of the stories we put out there all the stories that are in the media now just media in general is make your own mind up people go out and read be educated (laughs) and make an informed decision you know you decide whether it's real or not on the uh, the weight of evidence available to you i think that's the that that for me is always the take-home message yeah well and be critical of your evidence i guess yeah uh, would be what i would would throw in there um but yeah no no no. hey be open to change be open to change your opinion i think that's a that's a really important thing yeah but we'll we'll save all these fun topics for another for another go around yeah so uh just to to finally wrap up so uh yeah listeners get involved you know get tweeting uh you can reach the show at at too bad for you on twitter or myself at bradley w hayes uh, you can reach my uh, less good-looking counterpart, uh, Flash, uh, at B. Van Paradon, is that? That's correct. Hey. That is correct. At B. Van Paradon, all one word. Uh, you know, I'm on the Instagram and stuff too, but that's mainly just I try to, you know, send pictures of cute cats around and you well, know, the what, usual. That's what the internet is for, isn't it? So That's right. That's right. The quicker we all, you know, start remembering that, the better. Never mind. That's, that's Never, right. Get rid of all this fake news. Let's have some more cat pictures, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, my friend. Okay. Uh, good chatting with you, and thanks again to the listeners. Uh, however many of you are out there, um, we we do appreciate it. We do every every single one of you, and uh, yeah, keep your predictions coming in if you've still got them. You know, I think it'd be good to see how we're doing. We'll we'll do a recap probably halfway through the year to see how we're doing. But if you've if based on the way events have taken off in the last couple of weeks into this year, then. Uh, Feel free to send some in. But uh, yeah, otherwise, my friend, I will uh, catch you next time. Sounds good. 
Take care. Take care. It's bowling, beer. I think there's some sort of all-you-can-eat buffet attached to it as well. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I should probably, should probably. Well, if I, I should find out more tonight, probably. But if not, then Saturday. So when I see you on Sunday. Yeah, it sounds good. Hey, I'm in. I'm down for whatever. Well, then it turns into a sex party afterwards. You're down for that as well, aren't you? Mm-hmm. I could always take pictures. <laughs> hmm. That's made a nice little picture on the recording. <laughs> <laughs> uh.